All right, so we'll go ahead and get started. Good evening, everybody. Uh, good to see everybody here. Um, seems like uh, quite our normal crowd. If you're new, uh, welcome. My name's Cujo uh, or Josh, and uh, we're just going to cover uh, tonight. I'd like to cover a couple of things that uh, kind of are happening in the UAS space, and then uh, We'll kind of take it from there. Discussion is always open. If you have something to say, a question to ask, uh, please feel free to do so. So we will go ahead and jump right into uh, something we were talking about right at the beginning. Um, so this week, uh, Arizona Senator Martha McSally, who is my own senator here in the state of Arizona, introduced uh, a new bill in the Senate uh, called Securing Our Skies Against Chinese Technology. Um, so basically what it would do would uh, prohibit any uh, Chinese manufactured drone, uh, or let, let me change this. It would prevent any uh, drone manufactured in China or by a Chinese company from being purchased and utilized uh, by a government, including a state and local public safety organization. So I will link a, put a link in here to the article. Um, for those who don't know, Martha McSally was uh, an Air Force pilot. Um, and uh, I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that we're going to see a lot of uh, this type of legislation in the coming months and years, um, not just relating to drones, but to a lot of things uh, in regards to China. Um, <clears throat> so this is a, uh, I also just below it, I've posted a link to the bill itself. It's very short. Um, and basically, no funds appropriated or otherwise made available for fiscal year 2020 and available for obligation as of the date of this act. Um, and then no funds appropriated or otherwise made available for fiscal year 2021 or any fiscal year thereafter may be obligated or expended to purchase a drone described in subsection B. Uh, which basically just says a drone described in this subsection is a drone manufactured in the People's Republic of China or by an entity owned or controlled by the government of the People's Republic of China. Um, so, uh, you know, Dave, do you know, does is DJI owned by the PRC? It's I don't not, think it's so. Private, it's not. It's a privately held firm. Um, but I, uh, in reading the bill, um, it looks like it's a um, manufactured in uh, People's Republic of China or um, owned by an entity controlled by the government. And so if DJI just moves um, a manufacturing location, uh, they could skirt this bill. Yeah. So uh, they did, uh, McSally did reference DJI uh, when she introduced this bill, um, where DJI has uh, donated dozens of drones uh, as part of its disaster relief program for COVID-19. Um, so uh, the article goes on to say that uh, Senator McSally's copycat bill tries to put a new face on the old and discredited idea of taking life-saving technology away from America's first responders, including firefighters and law enforcement officers across Arizona. Uh, government experts who actually use drones agree that banning or restricting drone technology based on where it is made is a fear-driven policy that would make America less safe, and the U.S. business and government agencies that use DJI can secure uh, and protect the data they collect. Um, so they go on to say that DHS, uh, has, um, been skeptical, skeptical of drones made in China for years. Um, and, uh, DHS has concluded with high confidence, and I put high confidence in air quotes, uh, that DJI markets drones to U.S. organizations to expand its ability to collect and exploit sensitive U.S. data. During that same year, being 2017, the U.S. Army stopped using DJI products. So does that help answer Tech's just question about whether or not the bill states what the threats are that they're addressing with it? 
So basically, it goes on to say uh, that uh, the suspicion is that uh, they are using the drones to spy. Um, it says the uh, U.S. Department of the Interior officially grounded hundreds of DJI drones, though it didn't specifically mention concerns about China spying. Uh, the order followed a more informal pause of the technology. Uh, DJI provided a reaction to The Verge uh, re uh, about the pause. We are aware of the DOI has decided to ground its entire drone program, and we are disappointed to learn of this development. Uh, as a leader in commercial drone technology, we have worked with the DOI to create a safe and secure drone solution that meets the rigorous requirements. Uh, which was developed over the course of 15 months. We will continue to support the DOI and provide assistance as it reviews its drone fleet so the agency can quickly resume the use of drones to help federal yeah. workers conduct vital operations. So as a, as a computer geek, uh, what um, DJI did, what you were just describing, was they essentially created a clean room of their code and um, provided it uh, under the uh, spec to um, Department, the United States Department of Interior. And this code explicitly um, was designed so that it would not phone home uh, any data. And so it was cleared and it was being sold to the uh, Department of Interior. Interior, And then uh, the uh, various uh, um, uh, executive orders and now several uh, bills have come forward. This one, however, is restricted, this particular bill, unlike others that we have seen. Uh, this one is strictly drone manufactured in the uh, People's Republic of China, of China or by an entity owned or controlled by the government of the People's Republic. This does not include parts. Um, so, you know, this is uh, entire drone solutions like a DJI drone as opposed to motors and flight controllers and that kind of stuff. So um, that's, again, this is very short. This is one of the shortest bills I've probably read in the last, oh, I don't know, since we started this, uh, since we started the FPVFC. <laughs> so that was nice. But um, yeah, so very short and to the point. Um, while we're on the topic, not necessarily on the specific topic of DJI, but uh, we did mention them. Um, so this article comes from Drone Life. Oh, text just typing something. I'll, I'll wait. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems like, I mean, if you want to go all conspiracy theory, um, you know, you, you know, I... Uh, I live in Phoenix, uh, out out past Buckeye. We have a nuclear power plant. You know, if I lived out there, I happened to catch some images of a nuclear power plant. You know, that video could be phoned home as, you know, to the People's Republic of China. They can use that to plan something. You know, that's very conspiracy, you know, theory. You know, n number one, not only, you know, that that image or that video is getting sent back, or that, you know, whatever data it collects, but that they're finding it in the, you know, hundreds of thousands of other videos uploaded on a daily basis from drones. So, and, and exactly, you can get a satellite view of a power plant, you know, so it's, I don't know, it's just, you know, people can say, you know, oh, there's more real-time data. Or, Why stop you know, at drones? Why not uh, continue on to cell phones or Samsung devices or network right. cards or wi-fi adapters or <laughs> thousands of other well things. there was there there was a, a small it wasn't a small story but it was a, a small chip on certain motherboards and, and electronics components that they say going home to china and exploiting data and back doors and all yeah, this kind of stuff there was no proof of that one if it's the one i'm thinking of but yeah definitely so people thinking about it yeah, so, and I remember it was like this tiny little component that you almost needed a microscope to see, you know, so, um, but, you know, conspiracy theories, you know, are, are, are abound these days, and, you know, there's a lot of distrust, I think, right now uh, in the world, um, and so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, 
what kind of comes from that. And yes, I do agree. It is kind of overreach. I think a lot of the things that are coming out in regards to drones are overreach. Um, you know, in terms of this kind of stuff or regulation or, you know, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I've got, uh, I do want to post a couple articles, which I'll get to in a bit, but um, this article comes from Drone Life. It's an update on Autel's lawsuit against DJI. Um, this one uh, goes into... It looks like, from what I've seen, is that um, they have negated the patent violations uh, informally, um, and they're saying that uh, any decision regarding this issue uh, will... Un it's unlikely that it will restrict DJI sales in the United States. So if you're new to this, uh, Autel filed a couple of patent violations. Uh, one would be uh, intelligent operations uh, using uh, using technology on their drone. So one would be intelligent operations such as obstacle avoidance. Uh, the other one would be uh, selling a drone with rotor blades. Uh, and the other one would be with batteries that clamp onto the drone. So three different patent violations. Um, and so the, the report I saw um, said that they were all all, all counts were thrown out. Right? Is that, that that was my read on this? So so this one... is yeah. So all this was that all all three of those patent violations were uh, thrown out, and but the commission um, the commission has yet to uh, rule officially on it. It needs to be confirmed, is what I'm seeing here. So that decision needs to be confirmed. So, uh, in order to be kind of wrapped up. Okay. So there's that. Um, in other news, uh, the FAA UAS Symposium is coming up in July. Um, so it's a two-day virtual event. Uh, I forgot to pull a link for this one. I'm sorry. Let me grab that real quick. Um, so here is the <laughs> website. <laughs> going to teach us all about UAS. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> so episode one is July 8th through the 9th. And I guess they're doing an episode two, which is going to be August 18th and 19th. Um, so they are going to have discussions on safety, remote ID, regulations, delivery beyond visual line of sight, and flight time. Um, the program is still being developed, so they don't have uh, a list of exactly what they're going to um, yeah, cover. How to Alex's question, I, I've yes. not looked at the registration price. It's for expensive. These. Yeah, these were. <laughs> Pricey like if you're 200. not a student, not a student, but uh, they do have student um, prices as well. Two hundred, yes. someone said. Is so it's 175 for uh, if per episode. So if you only want to do one, uh, it's 175 for a student pass. Um, if you only want to do one day of one episode, it's 150 dollars. If you want to do uh, both episodes as a student, it's $300. And if you want to do it as not a student or government or military or public safety, it's $375. So my, my, my overall issue with this, and I, I know this is echoed a whole heck of a lot. A lot of times they charge tickets because they're renting a space. They are, you know, they're set up in terms of, you know, displays and and pamphlets and all that kind of stuff this is a virtual event like what the f wouldn't it be awesome and... if we could say it was free for all fpvfc members right that that would be awesome um but at the same time it's just like this is an unlimited attendance you know limited only by their server or whatever servers they decide to use 
Like, what is the point of that price tag? Um, so I'm a little bit irked by that. It makes it very cost prohibitive for the average person who wants to learn and understand about this stuff. Uh, you know, it, it just makes it massively cost prohibitive. Makes to it very be commercial. Involved. Yeah, good, and, good and that's, question from text chat. Who's the audience? The audience is predominantly uh, commercial, yeah. and so it's uh, uh, large uh, large firms, uh, aviation, manned aviation, getting into uh, UAS, as well as software companies. And uh, I think we could just about guarantee that the uh, the eight cohorts with the uh, remote ID USS would be there. Yeah, and they'll see that as a very inexpensive uh, yeah sure thing well, to go to. Yeah. So I mean, it, yeah, and that's kind of where I'm I'm coming from. TextJet is that it just makes absolutely no sense. So, um, and they're calling it the remotely piloted edition. How fancy! <laughs> um, so sorry, I'm a little bit irked by this, as if you couldn't tell. So um, they do have. Uh, let's. I'm gonna dig hmm. in here. So yeah, I hope you're right there, Alex. That they do release the videos later for free. That would be nice. Yeah, yeah. it would be nice that. to not. Yeah, they have done that in the past. It would be nice to not have to, uh, yeah. you know, wait a week or a month to get that uh, right. information, though. Um, so, so what? What is and to Josh's point, what is frustrating is that this is a FAA uh, hyphen. AUVSI uh, event. So you know, when it's um, in person, the uh, this is a va very valuable networking event for us. And uh, uh, last year at the uh, the last day or after the last day of this event was the uh, drone advisory committee, and that's exactly what will happen uh, this year. Uh, this year's uh, DAC is uh, is June. Oh, look at that! It's it's off. They offset it. This year's DAC is uh, uh, June 19. It is uh, um, also virtual, and um, um, the uh, attendance is um, you must uh, apply and be uh, approved. So that um, those invitations are open. So if you're if you'd like to attend or sit in on the next uh, DAC, uh, we've got two. Uh, uh, tasking groups we're participating in, in again, and uh, that will be uh, um, hopefully uh, live streamed uh, as well. I'm almost positive it will be, in, in addition to just being virtual to the uh, people signing in. It's interesting, yeah. So, what's the purpose of signing in? Good question. <laughs> so, uh, parties attending the symposium. Um, I would imagine it's going to be a lot of the manufacturers, you know, people like DJI, Autel, um, uh, as well as, and, and I'm talking big manufacturers. I'm not talking like FPV manufacturers. Um, there may be some there. I'm not sure. Uh, Luminaire uh, might be there. I'm not sure. Um, I'm just guessing. So don't take that. Um but uh, then you'd have uh, a lot of uh, guest speakers, uh, experts. There's probably going to be some symposium or some some events on counter UAS technology. I'd imagine, uh, you know, new new technology coming up, new uses for UAS. Um, you know, uh, could be uh, you know a lot of the things that that we see just on a more commercial grade scale. Um, and then I'd also imagine that there's going to be a lot of press releases, you know, based around that. Usually a lot of uh, uh, journalists attend those kinds of meetings, you know, if they're interested in that space, obviously. So. Right. And AUVSI is um, exclusively commercial, so there is zero recreational uh, representation at the event. Um, and uh, changing gears a little, uh, Alex had a question about up above um for the DAC, what's the normal response from the FAA if you've requested attendance? And it's usually within two weeks of the event itself. They are very much a uh, just in time uh uh operation the way they handle their, their work. Yeah. That's that's put us uh up against the rock more than once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. More so Dave up against the rock than anybody <laughs> else, but 
no problem. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Um, and some of you may have known this, but uh, I didn't until uh, earlier this week. Uh, DJI, or no, not DJI. I'm sorry. Let's get off DJI. Uh, DRL um, has a new president. Um, this was an article in Forbes. Uh, Rachel Jacobson. She comes from the NBA. Um, so. Uh, she was an NBA executive, um, and this was a little interview with her. Um, there are, uh, <clears throat> if you didn't know, DRL is hosting uh, virtual events right now on the DRL Sim. Uh, I think this Sunday is the third one uh, out of a series of like eight. So it's every Sunday, and it's on uh, NBCSL and uh, Twitter. Um, so if you're looking for something to watch or want to see some you know, what's going on with DRL. Uh, I did get a chance to go to DRL uh, when they were in Phoenix here. It was an awesome event. They did a great job. Um, but uh, the nice thing is, is we're getting, you know, DRL, I, I wouldn't say we, but DRL is getting uh, bigger and bigger and they're getting recognition from other sports leagues. Uh, so that bodes well for our hobby um, to a certain extent. Uh, it gets us... Uh, you know, that positive recognition we so desperately need and deserve, uh, as opposed to all the uh, fear mongering and stuff that we usually see in regards to drones. Uh, so this was an interesting article. If you have a couple of times uh, or a couple of minutes, of, you know, it's worth a read. Um, so uh, and DRL is, uh, oops, uh, you know, they do some stuff with STEM, the DRL Academy. Um, I think overall their mission is uh, uh, really innovative and doing great things for our hobby. So congrats to them. And then uh, this is going to be the last article I have prepped for today. Um, but uh, we can be free to discuss. This was a really cool article uh, from... Uh, SUAS news uh, regarding using FPV drones for recreational therapy. Um, so he is using FPV uh, to uh, act as a therapy treatment to people with uh, um, PTSD uh, and uh, traumatic brain injuries, uh, which I think is amazing. Uh, cause I can imagine, you know, when you're, you're forging pathways into the brain after an injury, you know, the more stimulus you can apply to it. And I'm not a doctor, but this just makes sense in my brain. So, you know, slap me if I'm wrong, but, uh, the more stimulus you can provide to that, uh, process, the, I would imagine the better it is for healing. And, uh, I think FPV is amazing and I think it creates, a a massive, uh, uh, interaction between the person and what they're doing and we all know if we fly fpv it, it provides us massive amounts of joy um and he talks about uh, current therapies and practice with disabled veterans is tying a fly for water fishing and it's just like hmm, to tie a fly or go out and fly fpv makes a whole lot of sense i'm not a fisher so i'm not hey, a fisherman hey, so. I'm, I'm, a fly, I'm a fly fisherman it's pretty uh it's pretty it's awesome it's pretty mellow and it's uh it's a it requires concentration and it uh, uh wading into the middle of a stream is a, a very very uh, uh relaxing uh event so it's uh, i get it but it, it it does require a lot of uh motor um, skills fine motor mo skills a lot of motor skills and, yeah uh, yeah and uh to text checks point yes we do points we certainly do in, in addition to PTSD, uh, during the, uh, as we created our comments for the remote ID NPRM, uh, we also had a number of folks come forward and say that uh, it's very useful for um, a, t a light attenuation of chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have enormous uh, uh, regard for uh, the benefits of uh, what FPV can do. and. Uh, uh, almost uh, all of the folks who have uh, who are PTSD sufferers and chronic pain sufferers did so 
doing something that was selfless, either in, in the military or as a first responder. So our yeah. uh, our thanks uh, to those folks, and this is a, a great uh, hobby that can help them. I know several people that use FPV to not only overcome those issues, but anxiety, uh, social anxiety, ADD. Um, ADD is my curse. Um, I'm constantly got something going uh, in various parts of my brain. So, um, but uh, uh, it, it's useful for a lot of uh, issues that people have to deal with on a daily basis, and it's done wondrous things. And I'm sure a lot of other hobbies and and um, activities can can claim the same but it's just one more reason not to shut out another outlet for people who constantly have to live with these issues um so um on that note uh that's all i have in terms of articles um i did want to kind of touch on uh, i don't want to beat a dead horse at this point but um i have read a couple articles on the Blue Angels incident. Um, I do know it's being investigated. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, that's uh, been a major uh, issue in the UAS space over the last couple of weeks. Um, I know a lot of people are upset about it, and I get it. Um, you know, it's it's interesting how quickly I think that the, you know, barring involvement by any other agencies or any governmental, you know, people, how quickly the um, UAS community kind of lit that up. Um, so, uh, Dirty Rat, ignore disregard if this has been addressed before. I'm new here. Well, welcome. Thank you for joining. Uh, is the FPVFC being acknowledged, heard in the FAA roundtable, or does the community not have deep enough pockets to be considered worthy of being heard? Dave, you want to field that one? Sure. Um, well, the roundtable, I'm not sure if you're describing something specific or uh, general. Uh, in general terms, uh, we're starting to uh, gain uh, more and more respect, and uh, we, um, the one of the primary ways that I've seen that the requirements are um, solicited and formalized uh, into the FAA is with their Drone Advisory Committee, and I'm now participating in my fourth and fifth tasking group. And so a tasking group is a task force that the FAA decides this is um, well, we would like to know more about this. Uh, one of the uh, the tasking group uh, that uh, finished up, as an example, finished up in February was um, a facilities um, map. And so uh, what can we do to improve the facilities map? So we worked on that. The two that we're working on right now are um, what can we take from manned aviation safety culture that is applicable for UAS? And also from the perspective of there's a document called CONOPS 2, which is all about uh, uh, unmanned uh, traffic management, and it's a requirements document. And so the tasking was to provide uh, input on that. So we have, um, because uh, we spend time, because I've run two subgroups, because um, you know, we take the time to do research and submit um, you know, professional, polite, productive comments in on everything we do, um, we are uh, gaining uh, more and more respect. And so the, uh, the, uh, um, the subgroup I'm running on the safety culture happens to be with uh, uh, small commercial uh, companies using UAS. And I'm also sitting in on uh, the recreational subgroup that's chaired by Rich Hansen, president of, of AMA, and also worked on with Chad Boudreau. So I, I think in a general sense, we are. In addition, we were also one of the 12 companies asked to be a cohort for requirements for the UAS uh, knowledge exam. Uh, and so we are getting a better and better um, um, recognition in the FAA. And uh, it's a, you know, the UAS office is not enormous, so we are uh, the UAS Integration Office under Jay Merkel is not a huge group, so we are uh, gaining a reputation there. In addition, um, one of the 
standards that was very important to the FAA and is, is now referenced again lately is the ASTM F-38 group, a UAS group under ASTM. Uh, I've joined that group and so we'll help uh, uh, we'll help work on uh, standards from that angle. A lot of the, you know, we keep finding the same people uh, working um, in the, you know, with the FAA, with the ASTM, and so uh, we're trying to find, and we're being helped by a number of folks in manned aviation uh, to recommend where we go. Uh, another one is the uh, UAS safety team. Uh, I've applied once, was declined, and uh, we'll we will uh, apply again uh, for that. And uh, when it comes up, uh, we'll put forward an application to sit at the DAC. Well, the work that we do with the Drone Advisory Committee, uh, we are doing this um, by contacting the individual chairs. We do not have a seat at the Drone Advisory Committee at this point, but certainly we will apply as uh, as uh, soon as they open up applications. And while having money would be great, we've also seen with the remote ID stuff that even very large corporations have been ignored by the FAA, yes. no matter how much money they have. That's really well said. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, companies like DJI, like um, Wing, uh, several other companies that, you know, have a vested interest of this in, in the UAS, um, you know, a lot of them agreed with not only our stance, but stances that that we kind of put forth were universal almost, and uh, as well as the ASTM standard that uh, we referenced in our response, uh, that was uh, widely looked on as a really good idea, and that was uh, kind of it felt like it got shot down pretty quickly, so. Mm -hmm. Um, so the FAA is picking winners and losers. Yeah, it, I mean, here's the deal: is it's not just the FAA guys. So a lot of this stuff was set up in the reauthorization uh, of 2018. That document is valid for five years, so it will come up again in 2023. Um, so there's a couple opportunities. Number one, you know the the standards that the FAA has to meet were set up in that reauthorization, not just for UAS, but for manned aviation as well. Um, so the stuff that's going on right now, like remote ID, was in that reauthorization set forth by Congress. Um, at the time, uh, two things happened, and we can kind of dive into this for the, for the new guys. At the time, two things happened. Uh, one was that there was a very... Uh, lukewarm response to the reauthorization and the information that was coming out of that not just by the fpv community but by you know various different other organizations um that felt like it wasn't important and that you know we weren't fighting that kind of stuff it was right around that time that the fpvfc kind of started so you know, to be honest, it was kind of a little bit, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, too little, too late. But at the same time, in the meantime, we have done a lot of fantastic things, uh, including, you know, being involved on the DAC, uh, the Drone Advisory Committee task groups. Um, we've uh, put forth some responses. We've made contacts both in manned aviation and in the UAS space. Um, beyond that. Um, and even more so, a lot of the, and to kind of touch on TextGest points, um, they are getting pressed. They're getting pressed by uh, Department of Defense. They're getting pressed by Department of Homeland Security um, because there's a large fear uh, around UAS. It's, it's a new technology in terms of, to the hobbyists, it's not new, but to the government, it's a new technology. And to the general public, it's a new technology. So there's a lot of fear that that's kind of uh, uh, espoused around that. A um, couple of the things that we've tried to do is show the good side of the technology, um, and as well as you know various other people. Uh, there's more and more um, great stories like this recreational therapy one up above uh, that's being used. So. Uh, as opposed to, you know, it seems like right now 
uh, there's a lot less of the negative press around UAS, but the ones that are showing up are major issues like the Blue Angels um, incident. So, you know, uh, it's we've got a couple things going on beyond this. We've got the reauthorization coming up in a couple of years and we know that, yeah, that's a couple of years away, but that's a couple of years to plan. Um, and then uh, we've got remote ID that's rolling up fairly quickly. The expectation is that they're going to make a decision on that by the end of 2020 for, and begin implement, implementation in 2021. Um, now, if it's anything like the document uh, that they proposed in the NPRM, it's got a three-year ramp-up period. Um, so uh, the, the hard part is, is that the, the government, as we're noticing in terms of UAS, is recognizing corporations and corporate uh, kind of collectives or trade organizations uh, revolving around commer the commercial industry, such as the Commercial Drone Alliance. Um, however, they are not recognizing the millions you know, of recreational users that are all independent uh, from uh, all these other, you know, that, that are just out for a hobby, out to go have fun, out to do a little photography. Um, could be a farmer that's just out to, to um, uh, you know, check on his crops, you know, those other kinds of things that, that have no involvement with, no or little involvement with some of these commercial entities. So, uh, yeah, I, that's kind of my, my, my preaching on that, but, uh, um, let, let me catch up. Let's see. Einar, the FA has been mostly been picking losers so much so that I have to wonder if they're losing it on purpose because they're being pressured. Yeah. It's, you know, I wouldn't put it far from the, far from the tree on that one. Gosh. Um, yeah, go ahead. Um, on the reauthorization act of 18, um, what, what kind of thing that came about, the things that came about from 18, what kind so, of things do you have hope that we can change, uh, for 23? So I think a couple of things, um, you know, I think that. Right now, I think the big focus is going to be on remote ID. I think, uh, and I can't remember, and Dan or Dave jump in, I don't think there's anything major after remote ID that sets to put the uh, hobby think, on fire. Yeah, there is, uh, there is one. There was, the, there was the repeal of 336. and uh, No, I mean after, after remote ID. I'm not following what your, what your point is. Yeah, I was going to say, there, you know, after remote ID, the next on the list would be the repeal of 336. So the, yeah. certainly the AMA is pressing for that, and that's they would like a reinstatement of the exception for model aircraft. That's what Dave, 336 Dave, was. Uh, the Reader's Digest version for 336 is is simply the um, the ex, um, the exception or waiver of all regulations uh, for recreational aircraft. And it explicitly said that a model uh, or a recreational UAS was not an aircraft. And so that, that's really the, the Reader's Digest version. Yeah, so basically it was, um, yeah, it, it basically said that once they, they set up the rules, uh, basically it was, you know, height, height restrictions and distance restrictions and line of sight restrictions. And after that, um, they couldn't, uh, they use the word promulgate any additional regulations regarding recreational UAS. And unfortunately that got repealed in, um, the 2018 reauthorization. So, um, so the repeal of 336 gives them the right yeah. to do all this remote ID yeah, yeah. and everything else. Yes. Thanks so, so yep. So I think one of the biggest, uh, things that we can you know, push back on is to get that or something similar reinstated. Now, again, anything that they create during this time period, during this reauthorization, stands a fair chance of being included, even if we were to get that, you know, 
exception put back in, I would imagine they'd roll up a lot of the current regulation in terms of remote ID and whatnot back into that uh, before locking that back down again, even if we could get that pushback. Um, that would be the the worst case scenario. Well, no, the worst case scenario is that we don't reinstate some kind of protection. Uh, the middle case would be protection, but with current regulation. And then best case scenario would be to roll it back to the original 336 of uh, previous uh, standards. <clears throat> yeah, that was kind of my thought on it, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, so, you, know, you got to think about that shit because it just gets sloppy, don't it? It, it, it can, you know, I mean, anytime the government gets involved in something, uh, it, it has a chance to uh, just get messy. And so, um, well, yes and no. I think that my hope is, is that there's some kind of uh, concession text yet um, in terms of remote ID, whether it's a, a, a module that we can place on instead of having to have it manufactured in. Uh, the ability to, you know, some other people have brought up the ability to uh, uh, repair our drones and having to change, or the inability to repair them. Um, Dan, what's that legislation that's going on with Apple right now? The uh, Like a right, right to, to repair, repair thing? Right yeah. To repair. Yep. yep, thank you. Um, and some of that kind of rolls in and... Uh, you know, well, if they like also that. go with the ASTM standards recommendation of, say, having an app on your phone and you draw out a, yeah, a location I'm flying in, kind of like how Lance works today. That's not terrible. No, and I mean, if it's non-invasive, doesn't cost much or anything or, you know, or easy to implement, those are the, those are that's the criteria, you know, and. I, I have a feeling that without those three criteria being met, it, they're gonna it's gonna be a struggle for the FAA to claim success. Yeah, like most people said in their comments, it'll just be massive non-compliance if that's the case because there's no incentive to comply. We're just exactly. not gonna do it. So, um, yeah, if you're in the areas where you have no way to comply. Yeah, I mean that's that's the other part too. It's it's you know if you if you don't have internet broadcast solutions and and whatnot in your area, then you know you're gonna be up the creek, and people just aren't gonna comply just so that they can go out and do what they've been doing for the last you know eighty years, whether you're flying fixed actually, wings or some of the, actually some of the creeks I fly in don't even have cell service. Exactly. So. Um, and yes, thank you, TextJet. Um, we do appreciate that. Uh, we do think our ideas are, are good. Um, uh, and again, you know, the community is to to thank for a lot of that. Uh, we've done a lot of reaching out to the community and on our documents and such. And the feedback was awesome. Um, and we will continue to do that. So, you know, it's not just us. I think it's a, a lot of the community participating as well. And the more we can get participation on stuff like that, I think the, the better off we'll be. And as we uh, continue to forge alliances throughout the UAS space, um, I think we'll be better off as well um, because we will just continue to be a bigger voice. And that's not to say everybody needs to roll up under our umbrella. Um, it's not about that. But um, it is. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I would oh, come on I, now. That's why Dave. That's why Dave's got a magnetic personality, isn't it? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but at the same time, more participation and and more uh, more uh, collaboration. I think. Well, I mean, there's 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 different companies that we're working with that, or that we're we're kind of uh, collaborating with that that they're going to be independent, you know? And so, you know, we've got a lot of great help from drone U, but they're their own entity, you know, but a lot of collaboration goes a long way. And uh, I think that's my biggest thing. Somebody needs to, okay. I'm going to just mute that. <laughs> uh, at any rate, um, any questions, comments? Yeah. Did you, well, I had to drop for a bit. 
but it, it seemed almost to be a bit somber when I came back. <laughs> What's that now? Um, but the conversation was a bit more upbeat before I dropped. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Um, were you were you discussing at all? I mean, I think I had re read here and there the trying to ram this in in a year or so, so earlier than schedule. Did yeah. So the remote ID uh, last we heard is that they had gone through all all of the uh, fifty five thousand comments and that their goal was to. Um, Implement, uh, basically uh, get the new rule released by the end of 2020 and for implementation in 2021. And the source and timing of that statement was Jay Merkel at the UAST uh, meeting. Oh, it was uh, three to four weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so, you know, at some point in the next couple of months, we will jay merkel is the head of the faa uas uh, integration integration office, office. Right. Yes. he's the exec executive director of the faa uas integration office so the most senior faa executive responsible for uas good UAS question regulation yep yep regulation absolutely good point uh, absolutely good clarification he is yep. not part of ATM or other aspects of the uh, FAA. Yeah. Um, and uh, you can see him uh, right around uh, the time remote ID. There was a bunch of videos from the FAA that rolled out uh, on some, like, you know, talks that they were doing. Uh, uh, in fact, Josh from uh, Flight Test was there. Uh, you can see him interacting with Jay Merkel there. Yeah, it was a uh, CES or something. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, what other questions okay, we got? One other quick question. Um, so in Wisconsin, I know they don't allow drone flying on state parks. I've never really looked into that, but I mean, it, I've always known that. So I didn't really think much of it. There's usually too many people to fly there anyway, for, for the most part. But I'm starting to see a lot more local uh, communities, villages, small cities with their own sets, uh, their own adding to their own um, rules and regulations, not allowing uh, flying in parks, city streets, any public areas, private property, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess, you know, I think the only thing you could do is take off and land from your own property. Um, it, I was just wondering what the legality of that is. So obviously they cannot restrict the airspace, but right. this is, you know, I think this is a takeoff landing, you know, kind of from the land usage. Um, I mean, is there any, I mean, I mean, so far it's just been, oh, okay. Well, I wasn't aware of that. No big deal. No. So obviously not challenged, but I'm not checking every municipality I look at. It's pretty much all uh, um, non-restricted airspace uh, in you know bulk of Wisconsin. So uh, as long as I'm not in the metropolitan area, I usually I just pull up air map. Oh yeah, nothing recreational. You're fine. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, at some point, I'm just wondering, you know, should it come down to it, what are my chances of fighting some of those local audiences in court? So a couple of things. Uh, one, you are correct. They can't uh, restrict the airspace uh, if it's not uh, an FAA. The FAA at this point controls all the airspace uh, from the grass all the way up. Um, but what they can do is restrict where you can take off and land from. Um, now, you know, there are there have been some uh, good uh, fightbacks against that. One of the easy, the best things to do is to kind of keep tabs on what's going on in your your local legislation, whether it's city or state, um, and kind of try and get involved in that stuff. Uh, I know Vic Moss uh, over at DroneU. Uh, he has uh, a group, a UAS uh, laws and regulations group uh, that is almost dedicated to not only understanding those laws and regulations, but 
a lot of people post about regulations that are happening in their areas. Um, people provide advice for, you know, if that's going to work, if that's not going to work. Um, and I know Vic has uh, personally cha championed uh, some efforts to either remove that regulation or to uh, work in terms of a better outcome for that type of regulation. Um, so, you know, but, you know, as an example, they can say, okay, you can't uh, land or take off in a park, but you can go stand on a public sidewalk and fly over it anyway. You know, it's, it's really kind of goofy and I hate the patchwork of laws that happen uh, like that. And a lot of it is derived from, you know, the fear of, of, uh, the residents in those areas. Um, now in terms of challenging that kind of stuff, uh, generally the, the, the best and easy way of, uh, challenging that stuff is to get caught <laughs> and then go challenge it. If you're uh, low, sure. No, and that's what I meant. <laughs> I mean, obviously it, so far they've been just, you know, really nice and, uh, yeah. In talking with the local enforcement, I almost get the impression in some of the cities, and we're talking very small cities here. Yeah. Um, some of them are even village level. Yeah. Um, where the it, it almost sounds like well we've got a, um, it, you know we if we get a complaint we have to investigate it, <clears throat> and of course you know that could just be from a noise perspective. So no, it's been fine, and I think in some cases, if we had just called them ahead of time and said, "Hey, is that all right if we fly?" they'd, they'd probably be like, "Okay, sure." Yeah. You know, yeah. Give me your phone number in case somebody calls. And if you're lucky, uh, the... in other cases, they're kind of like citywide, like uh, no public places. And right. I, yeah, I mean, I'm just at some point I'm gonna run into somebody that says, you know, that wants to take it a little further and give me a citation, right. and I'm just. In a nice also, way, obviously. There are also two activities. Uh, one is the uh, there's a Senate bill by Senator Mike Lee. I think he's uh, is he from Utah? Yes. Um, and we are not um, proponents of this bill, but he's pushing for the airspace up to 200 feet to be uh, regulated by um, local, uh, local uh, state and local governments and. The uh, reason or... we're um, no um, yeah I think it you, didn't yeah there is problem. some there is some provision with by homeowners so if you wanted to fly over a first uh, private property you'd need to get permission and and so yeah, there are there are enough yeah the um, uh, government tra the you know the the book on this is that it has a two percent uh, opportunity of passing and it's been out there since uh, October 2016. And it's a carbon copy of a bill that uh, that he issued um, about four years earlier. So we're hopeful that it doesn't get very far. The other uh, interesting point is uh, there is a, a group of um, tort lawyers that create common legislation for state and local municipalities. And to me, overall, that's a that's a good thing. It makes uh, the law of our land consistent from state to state, county to county. Uh, they were working for about three years on some uh, rather uh, onerous drone uh, tort law, and they just shelved, just absolutely shelved it, shelved it last summer. And to me, that was very positive. So they just felt that there, are too there were too many difficulties and it uh, was not uh, worth uh, their energy to work on it. So that was great. And if the Wisconsin Department of Transportation is anything like the Minnesota Department of Transportation, they actually want to hear about cities proposing regulations like this. And they've gone to city council meetings and talked some cities in Minnesota out of creating legislation like that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, that was uh, one thing I was, gonna, was interested in. Would it make sense to go to the state level to, have, uh, to potentially work towards having local so, yeah, I mean, here, here's like uh, TextJet earlier said in Texas, uh, they have a state law um, that prohibits cities, county and other governments from regulating UAS. So basically the state level sets the UAS regulation uh, for their uh, 
for their entire state and they they basically enact preemption they basically say that cities and and counties cannot create additional rules beyond that and arizona has a law like that maryland has a law like that too so that would be the best type of law that you could get because at least at that point you're focused in on one entity being the state as opposed to cities and towns and and counties and and you know all those disparate kind of things and sure. I will be the first person to say that, you know, overall, the FAA having control over all the airspace is, you know, while some of the stuff they may came, come up with are onerous and draconian, uh, it gives you a focal point for that kind of stuff. To have to deal with a virtual patchwork of regulation from cities and counties and states and federal all at the same time would just be a hot mess, as well as taking into account your businesses, uh, your residences, your state parks, your local parks, your, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, people don't understand how ridiculously time consuming that would get just to go out and fly for five minutes, you know, or to put, you know, five packs through the air. It, it just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have that patchwork. It should be more um, broad and uh, just, you know, one, one organization or a couple organizations in regards to that you have to deal with. So in this regard, it would be, you know, the federal and the state level and Nick's all the ones below that. So, yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I would definitely petition some of your state legislators, uh, to create a rule similar to what Arizona or Maryland or Texas has. Um, I spoke about the Arizona one before. In fact, uh, the state of Arizona dictated that, um, every city has to provide a park in which model aircraft are able to be flown. Um, and I believe the only one with an exception to that is Tempe, Arizona, and that's because the entire city sits within uh, the uh, uh, flight paths of uh, Sky Harbor Airport. So, um, but any any city in the state of Arizona has to provide a park, uh, a, a public park in which uh, model aircraft can be flown, not just a, a AMA field or anything like that. So, that's great. All right, cool. Yeah, because I, I guess uh, ultimately it's becoming difficult to figure out as we go from small little, you know, it, it, all these all these little villages have n nice parks, and sometimes when there's plenty of people at one, we drive ten minutes, go to another, and when we find an open spot where we're not bothering anybody, you know, it's nice to be able to, yeah fly a couple of packs but yeah it's getting difficult to figure out where we can and can't fly anymore totally agree and i like to road trip uh from time to time and uh even if it's just locally like going up to sedona or something and and i generally take my drones with me and i want to know that you know beyond a cursory you know look at can i fly here or can i not fly here that I don't have to worry about some, you know, off the wall regulation about where I can take off and where I can't take off and and stuff like that. I, I think that's what everybody, you know, in the hobby wants uh, to be able to just, you know, not live in fear that you're going to get arrested or cited for, you know, doing something simple and fun. Yeah, I think the biggest problem is just because it's unrestricted airspace, so I don't have to use the lamp system. It's it's actually a lot easier to just use lamps. There I have approval. I can show that approval if somebody comes by. Right. But with these small cities unrestricted, there's really nothing for me to do except say, hey, I'm I'm under the recreational here, so I'm good. But yeah. Yep. Well do keep in mind that Lance is a federal you know system. It it, it does not take into account local ordinances and right. stuff like that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of these actually have, uh, as I've looked, they popped up within the last two years. So many of them as early, uh, I mean, as, yeah, I think some of them came into, uh, into the books, uh, at the beginning of this year. So yeah. I would, and, and <laughs> I would imagine that some of that's going to accelerate as, you know, as drones become more and more, uh, you know, 
uh, used in the environment. Um, you know, the, the, the more exposure something has, the more people, you know, want to regulate it. Um, so, but, uh, yeah. Any other questions, comments? Well, we got a lot of people joining in late. Welcome, guys. Um, I mean, at this Actually, point, I got to bow out, Josh. Yeah, I was about to wrap up anyway, Leland. So, um, uh, I want to thank you all for coming this evening. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to us. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in two weeks. And uh, happy flying. And I hope everybody is safe and healthy. And uh, um, yeah, so have a great night, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Good night, guys. Take care.